0: Hi so welcome to this week's BA Brew. I'm Kerry. I'm Jo. And I'm Philippa. And today we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. So particularly we're going to be covering what is it? So what is imposter syndrome? How can you tell if you have it? And what can you do to overcome imposter syndrome or help somebody that has it? So let's kick off with what is imposter syndrome. So Jo, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Please. So, um, imposter syndrome is um, a feeling
1: sort of um, not feeling that you belong, um, maybe that you're a fraud, um, that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Um, personally, for me, um, when I work as a BA, which is what I do full time, um, my feelings of imposter syndrome come when I'm trying to complete a task and I think, oh, I you know, shouldn't be doing this, i not really a BA I still work in a pizza shop and think of myself as a pizza girl um so that's that's what it is for me that's imposter syndrome sort of wrapped up
2: Philippa anything to add uh yes I think imposter syndrome can manifest itself in many ways Joe you just talked about in your head you're still a pizza girl rather than a uh, you know a highly knowledgeable and skilled business analyst uh, for me, it manifests itself when uh, I'm called on to do some public speaking. And uh, I moved into IT from a degree in English, and I spent a long time in that um, unconscious incompetence box in the learning cycle. I felt I I have no idea what's going on, and it took me it took me a while to get to the point where I was confident, and that kind of feeling as sort of, you know, it, it stayed with me um, as my career has progressed and I spent over 20 years in, in IT, um, despite the qualifications, etc. But when I'm called upon to do some public speaking on a topic that really I sh- I know I know, and I know I know it backwards, but I just feel I'm going to be exposed as a fraud and it can send me into into, you know, Deep anxiety attacks. And I had a horrible experience at a conference once, which uh, I won't go into now. Um, but yeah, that was a, a real wake-up call for me that I needed to do something about this and manage it.
0: Yeah, I think public speaking, I think that's going to be a, uh, resonate with quite a lot of people. Because I think it's, it's a hard thing to do, isn't it? To stand up, even though you know your content inside out, to stand up in front of a group of people is um, yeah, a big thing. Absolutely absolutely
2: and uh, funnily enough my my talk at that time was about um, emotional intelligence and the uh, the amygdala hijack which is where your brain goes into survival mode and we had a technology problem and it absolutely threw me and my brain went into survival mode I forgot everything I was going to say Um, and imposter syndrome I think fulfills the same kind of function for us. It's a protective mechanism. So I don't know what people sort of feel about that.
1: Definitely. I think it's quite ironic that even today, so never mind public speaking, I'm sat in the comfort of my own home. I was quite feeling quite nervous about coming on to this session um, to talk about imposter syndrome, my experiences of it and feeling, I don't really know why I've been invited and have I got anything of merit to say. and it is a very protective emotion, sort of protects you and keeps you in your comfort zone, that feeling of not wanting to step outside and challenge yourself. And it can be really prohibitive, on it, and, and keep you from getting on to new experiences. Um, and funny, reflecting back on my comments saying I feel like a pizza girl, I think every step of my journey has got me to where I am. I've been in um, IT for about eight years. Um, I've been a travel agent, I've worked in retail, I've done lots of different things. And I think all of my experiences have made me the BA that I am today. So, absolutely, uh, yeah, I should keep that in check when checking my imposter.
2: <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, I think um, self-doubt is is quite normal. And it does, as you say, it's a, it's almost a protective mechanism because it buys us time to stop, pause and think before we take um, any action. And, you know, if there's uh, some kind of wolf at your door, you might rather than get walking up to pat it and say, oh, what a friendly, cuddly wolf. You pause, stop, you know, stop, pause and think. There's a bit of doubt and actually you'll probably choose to run away. So that's kind of, I think the purpose of some of this self-doubt, as you say, we do need to keep it in check and I think the issue for a lot of us is when we allow it to run away with us Um, and uh, yeah that's when panic or or anxiety and panic can set in and it can really derail you I think from a task or a meeting or whatever it is you've got coming up at work Mm. which is unfortunate.
1: When i was doing my prep for this I, that the point that you've just said Philippa, came up so having a little bit of self-doubt is is can be really good can be really productive and give you that yeah. space to reflect and identify your improvement points but too much of it is just going to stop you in your tracks and help prevent you from pushing yourself further so yeah yeah,
0: I agree. yeah absolutely absolutely but- so how could somebody tell if they've got imposter syndrome Philippa, do you want to go first on this one
2: yeah so um i mean you know speaking for myself is um and then reading the literature around imposter syndrome i've done a lot of work uh, over many years in the leadership development uh, space it's feelings of self-doubt as we talked about feeling that you're inadequate in some way for the role that you've possibly been promoted into even though somebody's had confidence in you to actually give you that promotion and you've maybe got a pay rise and a bit more status, more responsibility, inside somebody's telling you, probably yourself, you're, you're not up to this job. And you sometimes feel, I think, you're only in that job or in that position because you've been lucky, not because of anything, that you've done or achieved in the past. And um, I often find myself saying this, oh yes, I was uh, promoted to this because I was lucky and, oh, I actually had a good boss or, and you do tend to downplay your own achievements. Um, And I think a lot of British people do tend to do that anyway, it's, it's part of our culture. But I think it's more so as well for women. Literally every female friend I have, they just don't know how good they are. I do. I think they're all brilliant in all their different and unique ways, but they don't
0: see it. Can um, I just so say, it is a coincidence. That's syndrome is. Yeah, yeah as I say, that's coincidence. Obviously, we are all uh, female on the call. That oh, we are. purely coincidence today. <laughs> say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: What's, what's interesting, Kerry, I, I, um, like Jo as well, I know she's done um, some reading into this, um, is looking at the stats, almost as many men as women admit to experiencing feelings that we diagnose as or that we identify as imposter syndrome. It affects almost as many men as it does women. Um, so it's it's not as gender-specific, I think, as we've been led to believe. I don't know how you feel about that or what your experience is. I think it might be that just
1: as women, we're more forthcoming and talking about our emotions. So sort of as a general, I don't want to generalise completely there. But um, I think it's becoming more open and honest and in the workplace for, for men to express those feelings. So I think we'll probably see that balance being redressed. Certainly when I've put out um, literature on, or, you know, articles on on the subject, I've had a lot of men from my network contact me and say that the feelings that I'd expressed resonated with them. So I definitely think it is more prevalent within the uh, fairer side of the sex than we are led to believe. (laughs) Um, It's, yeah, I think it's a universal feeling really, uh, not, won't stay with everyone forever, but I think everybody feels yeah. it, especially the first time you're trying something or when you're new definitely. to the
2: discipline. And it's interesting what you said is it doesn't always stay with someone. And um, in looking at some of the stats, there's um, a UGov um, poll that they done that they did in 2022, um, where they showed age is definitely a factor for some of the traits of imposter syndrome. So it's much more prevalent in the under 40s than it is in the over 55s, and that's true for both men and women, although gender, as as we I think we all agree, um, you know, there, there is definitely a gender dimension to it. Um, but age Probably, in looking at some of these stats, once you drill down behind the sort of top level, um, I think age is perhaps more influential on people's experiences of imposter syndrome than maybe we give it credit for. Mm.
1: Uh, um, picking up, sorry, go on. No, go on. <laughs> I was going to say, one of the things that I feel most, how I know that imposter syndrome is hitting for me, is doing a lot of benchmarking and comparing myself against my colleagues after the fact if I feel like something's gone wrong, making these assumptions that um, you know, everybody else is fine and it's just me that feels this way. And as you were speaking there, I was sort of making the assumption as oh, you know, as somebody of a certain age, surely all young people are really confident. You know, they've got youth on their side and sort of not being weighed down with the mistakes that we've all feel like we've made over the years, but that's just another symptom of imposter syndrome kicking in there I think and thinking I know I'm in a bracket that everybody else is different
2: from so yeah yeah (laughs) definitely I do think age has a um, has a dimension to it so um, I don't mind saying my age I'm going to be 59 in a couple of months and I found my feelings of the feelings I've experienced of imposter syndrome has certainly diminished. They haven't gone. Uh, There are certain situations like public speaking where they're absolutely there still, but it's definitely diminished. But I'm interested to know if any experiences um, that you've maybe had in work have contributed to the sense of imposter syndrome. Um, Earlier on in my career, when I had a a fairly senior management role for the first time. I was invited by the MD um, to attend board meetings, um, as long as I didn't say anything. And there was there was myself and another senior manager who was also female, and uh, who was also invited and told the same thing. So um, I politely declined to attend that meeting. And when eventually, a few a few years later, I did get to the C-suite level, um, I was surrounded by people who were a lot older than me, all male, and it was like a gentleman's club that I was a guest at, and it was almost by invitation only. Which didn't really help all those feelings like I don't deserve to be here. Why did I get that promotion? I'm not good enough. I don't know as much as they do. I'm going to be found out. And I'm wondering if maybe you've or or Kerry have had similar experiences in the workplace.
1: Well, first of all, I just said that sounds
2: awful, Philip. I'm really sorry that you experienced that. It was a while ago, and no, it was over 25 years ago. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a surprise even yeah. then.
1: <laughs> um, I, I don't. I've never been in that sort of position myself. My my experiences stem a lot from working um, on projects, maybe where there's a lot of ambiguity. Um, and performing activities whether it's facilitating workshops or just having sort of one-on-one conversations and coming away thinking, I don't really know what's happened there. I use the phrase quite a lot, it feels like I'm speaking Japanese to a toddler because no one really knows what they what anybody else is saying or what we're trying to convey. Um and it's, it's left me feeling like, oh, it must be me, it must be me. I'm not asking the right type of questions, or maybe I'm not interpreting the answers in the way that they, they should be. Um, and on reflection, and especially after speaking to other BAs in my practice, it's okay, no, maybe it isn't me, maybe it's the situation, and that because of this ambiguity, um, we're, not, we're not getting to the point or we've not understood the purpose of what we're doing. So it's a lot, a lot of relating to that, I'd say, um, my first few requirements gathering workshops that I was in, I think I let my newness get to me as well. Um, Mm -hmm. and definitely that thought of, oh, because I'm new, I don't know what I'm doing rather than I'm doing this because I've been selected by a recruitment panel because I've got the skills to do the job. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that angel and devil feeling as well on my shoulders. That's yes. probably like where mine will come from.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's mine's similar to that, Joe. It's when you're you know you've got the skills, particularly being a business analyst. You know you've got the skills and you go into the requirements workshop for like the first, second, third time and you're facilitating and you've got like a few people that are questioning why you're doing something or what you're doing. You always think in your head, why am I doing this? It really makes you think, even though you know the answer, sometimes it can just make you sort of hesitate. To think, have I got the right end of the stick on this particular point or not? And I think it is that self-doubt that I think we've spoken quite a lot about today Mm -hmm. um, that just puts in your mind. Yeah. Do you think in some ways it helps us be better
2: business analysis? Because we do do the self-checking to make sure really 100% that we've got the right interpretation of the information that's being shared with us.
1: I think it helps quite a lot. So mm-hmm. I've, I've learned to use mine sort of to my power rather than to my yeah. detriment. So if I'm yeah. in that place of, oh, I, I don't really know what's going on here. I don't know how this has taken this turn or why are we doing it in this way? It's almost to be authentic and genuine, just to stop and say, should I to double check that we're all on the same page? Why are we here? What is the purpose of this? Um, and maybe if it's a technique that's not working okay well let's just ditch that and go back to a simple whiteboard and a pen and we'll just draw it out and um, yeah i think being genuine and remembering oh yes there is something inside of me that knows that i can do this and i just need to chase all of those voices away um, yeah. helps me ground myself quite a lot feel a lot stronger move forward
0: get something done yeah. Yeah. So, what is there any advice that you'd give to somebody to help them overcome imposter syndrome?
1: Um, I always find it really good to collect feedback from people. Um, first, I, I don't take compliments very well. I think reading a lot of the literature around imposter syndrome, that's definitely a, a characteristic of it. Um, but going out for feedback, I find very useful. Discussing with people, like, oh, how do you think that that went? And did we meet everything that we needed to do in that workshop or the meeting? And, and just reflecting and, and thinking, oh, no, okay, we did. it did serve its purpose. We got done what we needed to get done. Um, avoiding assumptions, definitely. Don't take for granted that you're the only person that feels this way. And sort of flipping between apps. At the end of a meeting to try and get something done afterwards is a very common symptom that I find. Um, and my other top tip, without taking over, would be just be kind to yourself. Um, I think a little bit of kindness goes a long way. We'd never talk to other people the way we talk to ourselves. And sort of stopping, taking a couple of minutes, having a cup of tea. Uh, other beverages are available, obviously. Um, yes. It's <laughs> it can be a real lifesaver some days don't let it just nosedive after one thing that's happened so yeah Yeah. very quickly they're my top tips
2: (laughs) and i i think um what joe just said really resonated with me is that nobody talks to us like we talk to ourselves and um a friend of mine who's also a business associate working in the uh leadership coaching space um I talked to her about um, imposter syndrome and some of uh, you know the tools that uh, she's worked with over the years and she talked about um, we need to tune into our internal radio station which is babbling away below the surface 24 7 reinforcing all the negative Ideas that we have about ourselves and our own competencies or incompetencies. Um, She calls it um, a particular name. She's given her internal radio station a name, which I won't say, but it begins with S, ends with T, and there's an H and I in the middle Um, FN. And uh, her recommendation is you need to tune into that radio station that's playing your. Top 20 self-doubts on continuous loop and turn it down actively. Um, and I thought that was interesting. And she's also um given her inner critic a character and a name. I think it's called her her inner critic is a female called Claire for some weird reason. Apologies to all the Claire's out there. Um and, um, yeah, she's um, she visualises her, it might be helpful for some people, and then tries to befriend her by saying uh, things like, um, right, I hear your advice and I know you're trying to protect me, but I actually don't need that now. So, you know, you can go away and be quiet. Um, that's a tool that works for somebody. I can't say it works for me in particular, I much i much prefer the idea of this internal radio station tuning in and tuning out <laughs> i think is 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 quite helpful
0: okay great and then are there any final thoughts um from either of you joe have you got any anything final to say
1: yeah and i think for all of what we've talked about and it, it seems that like it it's quite a negative subject to this feeling of imposter syndrome holding us back I think it can be really powerful to to keep a bit of it with you, um, and and sort of benchmark yourself against how, your previous imposter. Um, I I've, I've got a real passion for personal development, and I think it's having this belt, these belts of imposter syndrome that drives me forward to think, okay, how can I grow and have I overcome that now? What next challenge can I beat? So it's almost inviting it in and harnessing the power of reflecting on yourself. Um, but not letting it overcome you. Um, So a little bit, like most things in life, a little bit's good. Much of it's probably not too much, yeah.
2: And Philippa, yourself? Um, Well, I wish I'd had some of the tools that uh, Joe has described earlier on in my career, and I wish I'd known about imposter syndrome 30 years ago. Um, There's one last point I'd just like to make, is that there's been a lot of study on the syndrome and there's lots of advice out there on how you can manage it. But I think we need more studies on why it exists. And there's a quote from um, the Harvard Business Review um, that I think is quite powerful. Um, It says, feeling like an outsider isn't an illusion or medical dishon." It's the result of systemic bias and exclusion. Imposter syndrome directs our view towards fixing people at work instead of fixing the places where we work. We don't belong because we were never supposed to belong. Our presence is the result of decades of grassroots activism and begrudgingly developed legislation. So that's some food for thought. For our audience of business analysts, it's a systemic organisational issue, imposter syndrome, and it can make it worse or it can make it better for the individuals that work within it. And I think we we have a duty um, to help organisations solve this problem with better strategies for uh, inclusion at work.
0: That's great thoughts to finish on. So I just want to say thank you to Joe and Philippa for joining me today. And thank you for watching. If you have any other ideas for any future podcasts, please do contact us at babrew at assistkd.com.